So this week, I don't know how your week went. Mine had some ups and some downs. It was kind of interesting. But I had a great conversation with a young lady on Friday, and she wanted to get baptized soon. And so I called her, and we talked a little bit about what baptism means, and then uh, she just said, I got to get things right with God. I want to be a good mom for my kids. I want to, you know. So I said, have you ever given your life to Jesus? And she goes, no, I don't think I have. And I said, well, would you like to do that, you know, right now while we're talking? And she said, oh, yeah. So how do I do that? So, so I led her through a prayer over the phone, and she committed her life to the Lord. And then she said, can you send me that prayer so I could pray it every day? I was like, why not? So I texted the prayer to her, so she's been praying it every day. And she's going to get baptized right here, right there, next Sunday, a week from today. And, and she just wanted to do, she wanted to do it before her birthday. I thought it was really interesting. She's like, I got to get baptized now. Like, I got to get this thing right. I got to get on track. So, so I wonder if that inspires any of you. Next week, we're going to do a special Thanksgiving service. We're going to have a little more music. We're going to have some open mic sharing. I'm going to preach about being grateful in our hearts to the Lord. And we're going to have baptism. And if any of you want to get baptized, if anybody watching online, if you want to get baptized, reach out to us and let us know. And we would love to dunk a few of you if you are ready to go. And good news, we now have a heater in the baptism tank. So amen to that, right? You don't have to suffer for the Lord during the baptism. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so today my dad is here, and don't come up yet, but he's going he's gonna to teach with me. I'm going to interview him. Uh, in, in a couple of minutes, and so that's going to be uh, really special today. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but we've been in a series about making disciples, and I thought it would be good, rather than just charge ahead, for us to review a little bit of where we have been so far. So this is audience participation time. Um, how many of you have seen these questions before? How many of you have had a two-year-old that asks all of these questions, right? Uh, or maybe just why, always why. Uh, so who, in the church, who has the role of making disciples? Everybody. Good job. What is a disciple? Go ahead. A follower of Christ. Anybody else? A teller. Okay. An apprentice. Good. We also use the word student or mimic, right? Those are all great words. Ambassador, I like that. So in the Bible, disciple and Christian are the same thing. Disciple is not like the higher level of Christian that you finally reach someday. Disciples were first called disciples. Later, they were called Christians. We learned that from the book of Acts. Uh, when are disciples made? And we can look at Matthew 28. And this is from the Great Commission. So it's as we go. Disciples are made all the time. And so it says go and make disciples. But we learned that week that it really says going make disciples. That's a passive word there. So um, where are we to make disciples? Do you remember that? Anybody? Yeah, a good, a good answer is everywhere, right? At home and in our county, and in our state, people that are like us, people that are not like us, and around the whole globe. And we talked last week about how can you reach out to the whole, whole globe from right here, and our friend Kenji came and shared 
about how God used him and his wife in Japan and how he taught them stuff in Japan so that he could use it here at home with his own parents. Wild how the Lord works. Uh, so why do we care about this? Why do we care about making disciples? Anybody? Come on. Yeah, we're told to, right? I mean, it's, just, it's good job, Linda. So because the Lord said, do this. And then if we love him and we want to serve him and we take that seriously, then we do this. So how do we make disciples? That's what this whole series has been about. And, and the basic answer of how is we follow the example of Christ. And then we invite other people to follow the example of Christ. It's really not rocket science. It's we follow him and we help others to do the same. Amen? So what if your life left a trail behind it of Jesus followers? And you might say, oh, that would be so cool, but... You might say, oh, man, that's, that would be so great, but isn't that more like Billy Graham? And I would say, no, our lives are designed to leave a trail of Jesus followers behind them. So how do we, how do we get there? How, do, how does that become just more normal for us? Um, there, there's something that I, how many of you are hikers? Would you raise your hand if you like to hike occasionally? Sometimes you see the sign that says, leave this place better than you found it. I think spiritually, we need to leave this place, planet Earth, better than we found it by inviting people to follow Jesus, by being more like him ourselves, helping others to do the same. That's how the planet gets to be a better place. I remember seeing Beth Moore uh, a number of years ago at the Passion Conference in Austin, Texas, and she blew my mind. And she, her talk was all about making something of your life by not making something of your life. And what she said was, if, if I'm a believer and I'm carrying my cross, the cross is pretty heavy, I'm going to be dragging the cross and it's going to be erasing my footprints as I go. So basically, once my life is done, I'm leaving Jesus behind, not Kirk. And she just laid that down on the, on the crowd of college students and it just blew our minds. It was just a what a great picture of, I don't want to leave Dale or Cindy behind. I want to leave Jesus behind. Like, how cool for my life to be remembered that way. Amen? amen. Thank you, Len. You're, he's going to do our amens from over there. But Rick, you're going to have to do some more amens up here. Okay. So I'm going to be watching you. Uh, so how do you leave Jesus followers behind in every stage of your life? And I think we can do that the same way as St. Paul did. And we've studied uh, 2 Timothy recently, uh, but Paul did it in relationship. He did it in prayer. He did it in his example, in his encouragement. He also did it through hard times. He went through really difficult times. The guys and gals that were with him went through really difficult times, and that was part of how he created disciples, how God created disciples through him. So I want us to look at a few words of St. Paul, um, and uh, you can follow along up on the screen, or if you uh, want to do it in your Bible, you can. 1 Corinthians 4, this is, these are the words of, of Paul. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. 
1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I what? Follow the example of Christ. Don't follow my example because I have it all together. Follow my example because I'm so sharp. Follow my example because I'm trying to follow him, right? So was Paul being cocky when he says, follow my example, everybody? We know that he wasn't because he writes in some of his letters, look at me, I'm the chief of sinners. Look at me, I blow it. Look at me, look at me how I used to be someone who persecuted the church. How, and and he, he even calls himself like the apostle that doesn't even count. So he's not cocky. He's not pointing to himself. He's pointing to the Lord. But he's saying, as I'm trying to follow the Lord and I will make mistakes, you can follow me because as you follow the Lord, you're going to make mistakes. Let's, let's go anyway, right? Uh, somebody wants to find success as getting up one more time than you fall down. I mean, that, we can all get up with the Lord's help and, and keep getting up with the Lord's help. Right on? First Thessalonians, <laughs> chapter 1, uh, verse 5, he says, You know how we lived among you. I love this phrase, for your sake. So he wasn't just living life for himself. He's living life, keeping other people in mind. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. I love how that fits together every time. It's not just about follow me. It's about follow him, and you can follow me as I'm following him too. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And look at this part. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So this is all over Greece. This church was known for their, their suffering and their huge faith and love in the middle of that. Um, my dream, and I believe it's not just mine, I believe it's the dream of the Lord, is for you and me to be models. Not like on the front page of, you know, some, some magazine. To be models of what it means to follow Jesus. So that other people in our community will see us and go like, they seem to be following Jesus. There's something about them. And so that other churches and other cities and other regions will go, uh, they're, they're following the Lord. I, it is possible in our culture to follow the Lord passionately and well, and I want to be more like that. Philippians 3.17 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Interesting, he went from singular to plural, and so he's saying... It's not just about me, Paul, speaking. It's about us. Watch us, because I have these other people with me that are also following Jesus. And he was talking about Timothy and Silas and Titus and Luke and John Mark and a whole bunch of others that he was shepherding and bringing along. And, and we could also add Lydia to that, and we could add Aquila and Priscilla and some others that Paul was shepherding along in the Jesus way. And so he says, basically, don't just look at, look at all of them. These people are becoming more like Christ. How beautiful if we are all becoming more like Christ. In your community group, if you're becoming more like Christ together and you can see it in each other's lives, and then your neighbors watch and they're like, wow, look, Julie went through a hard time and she did it with grace and dignity and faith, and I got to have some of that, right? Philippians 4.9 Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me 
or seen in me, put it into practice, and then the God of peace will be with you. So sometimes as parents, you hear this phrase, do as I say, not as I do, right? I found a, a good Star Wars version of that. As I say, do, as I do, do not, right? <laughs> but really, do as I say and do as I do, that's something that God can use. Not the hypocritical one, the real version of this. Like, we want to live it, we, we, we want to practice what we preach, right? There have been enough, uh, there's been enough hypocrisy, which my daughter would call a hippo. There's been enough, uh, there have been enough hippos uh, in the church, and, and we don't need any more of that. We need to be people who actually practice what we preach and, and try to seek to, to walk with the Lord every day and become more like him. So does anyone know where Paul's model of follow me discipleship probably came from? Any ideas? What's the answer to every question in Sunday school? Jesus, yeah, that's right. So um, he learned it from Jesus, who set a beautiful example of follow me. In fact, the, the model that you see in Jesus when he calls his disciples is two things, follow me and come and see. And, and so here are a couple verses from, from the book of Matthew. Come follow me and I will send you to fish for people. Um, and then Jesus saw Matthew, the tax collector, he said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed. And then uh, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and do what? Follow me. And then we'll look at the book of John, a couple more examples. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Whoever serves me must do what? Follow me. Where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So this is Jesus' idea. And he said, come follow me. But over time, discipleship in the church became a program, became a class that you go to. So you do 101, and then you do 201, and then you do 301 if you're really, really spiritual. And then 401, you try to make it before you die. How in the world did we get so far from come and follow me, come and follow me as I follow him, life-on-life discipleship, is the pattern in scripture, and it needs to be more the pattern of our lives. Right on? So I want to invite my dad up. Would you welcome Mr. Larry DeWitt? Mr. Larry, you've never called me. Hi, Mr. Dad. You've never done that before. Mr. Dad would be a little awkward. Yeah. Nice shoes, by the way. You're looking pretty sharp. No comment. There's a time to speak and a time to shut up. Most pastors don't know when to shut up. I mean, why, why did I, go? I didn't see that. Amen. I oh, boy. Anybody say amen? <laughs> so that actually reminded me of a funny story. I remember um, somebody asked my mom, because he likes to joke occasionally. And so somebody asked my mom, how do you know if he's serious or not? Because sometimes he has the straight face. And she said, if he's preaching, you can trust him. But the rest of the time, right? Anyway. So tell, tell us, we had a good conversation this last week about this, but how has your view of discipleship changed over time? How do you see it now? I first want to say that what you've shared this morning, it's been, you guys are getting back to the foundation of it all. To me, it was going back and saying, how did Jesus actually do it? 
I'll tell you a couple of things you may not know. In the educational system of their day, girls studied the Psalms, men studied the law, and when they were about 13, which would be finishing middle school, they'd uh, either, if they were chosen by a rabbi to go follow them and be trained, if they were the bright ones, the, the ones who excelled, they'd go on and do that. The rest of them did what? Went back, got their career. Uh, it's obvious in Sue who Jesus chose, most of them they were not the sharpest kids on the block. Mm-hmm. You know that? They went back to fishing. That means they weren't chosen to be somebody, some rabbi's student. They didn't, they didn't make the cut. When you look at who he chose, they were common people. And uh, what did he ask them to do? Follow me simply meant, come, you're going to live with me. They, they, wherever he, when you had a rabbi, you went and lived with him. You didn't go to school for a few hours. There's no coursework. There's no Bible reading. Not sure they could all read very well. We don't even know that. Come be with me. See what I do when I'm tired. See how I respond to people I've never seen before, people who are mean-spirited. See how I treat a prostitute. See what I do when I see a crowd of people and I look at them. What am I looking for? What am I thinking? How do I process that? They learn by experiencing, not by reading primarily. Matter of fact, Becky would say through history, most Christians for generations couldn't read. They learned by looking at the stained glass windows at the church or whatever to, to get the stories. Yep. So I think that's where it all wants to start. And Paul sort of had some words that were not very complimentary. Would you read uh, or give us uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty six? Ta-da. I want you all to look at this and say uh, how you call it. Dear brothers and sisters, uh, what do you think? Uh, think of what you were when you were called. Say that to somebody else. What, what, what did you? They think about you when you were called. What's it say next? Not many of you were what? Wise. Sorry about that. That's what it says. What's the next one? Not many of you were what? What many of you were what else? Influential. Anybody here from a noble family? Anybody here from a wealthy family? Anybody here from a prestigious family? Any of you have dads who are PhDs? Paul just sort of slammed everybody there. You know, he was a PhD. He's probably the only one. He, he and Luke were the highly educated ones in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. But I just want to ask you, do you qualify? Hmm. Think of who God picked, Jesus picked. And they followed him with one thing in mind, to learn from him, not just his word, but for, learn from how he processed things and dealt with things. Learn by living with him. So discipleship, what you've been saying is merely Come walk with me. We're not telling you what to do. We'll show you. So uh, I can say amen and leave it there. You've covered that very well. And the goal of the disciples was to develop a passion to be like he was. Yeah. That's the whole thing, I think. Amen. Yeah. A fully formed disciple is somebody that looks like the teacher. Looks like a what? Looks like the teacher. And if Jesus is our teacher, and we haven't looked more like him the last couple of years, we're missing something. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of people feel like they're mature spiritually, but they're not growing. They're not becoming more like the master. And unless we're becoming more like him in our interactions with people over politics, over difficult subjects, mm-hmm. unless we're becoming more like him, we're not, we're not pressing in in our discipleship. Right? So I'd say to you, get over it. 
get over I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't know enough. Yeah. I screwed up last week. Get over it. Mm-hmm. And go on and just seek to be like him. Yep. Let people learn with you. Yep. So one of the primary ways that God has been using you the last, I don't know, little while is with your neighbors. Tell us a little bit about how your relationship with your neighbors goes. And what does it look like to be encouraging them to know more about Jesus? A neat thing I want to say up front is that when, we, when I finished my time at Calvary, and so I was done as a pastor, we moved into a townhouse house just a few blocks from Stonehouse, not James Storehouse, but Stor, Stonehouse. You know where that is in Westlake? Mm-hmm. We moved just a block from there. And uh, we were just people in the neighborhood. A lot of them had no idea I'd been a pastor or anything. So uh, we looked around. A lot of them were Jewish, different mix of people. And I just walked around the neighborhood for a sentence or two. Here's, here's a lady who lived behind us who came over and just lived there a short time like we had, and she was crying. She said, I'm upset. I said, what's you upset about? We're standing at the back fence. She said, I can't sell my house. I've been trying to sell it. I raised my kids there, but I'm, I'm here now. I can't sell the house. I won't sell. And I don't know what to do. I'm, I said, well, spontaneously, I just said, well, why don't we pray with you about it? We stood at the fence, and and just prayed that God would sell that house. She'd find peace about it. I think she was a Christian. We felt that. She came back two, two days later and said, you know what? My house sold yesterday, and I got a whole bunch of friends who want to come and pray with you. You know. Uh, just across from her is a house where uh, Dorothy lives, and uh, her husband had been the first surgeon in Thousand Oaks. Very wise, sharp man, uh, and he was dying. And I got up one morning, I said, you know, I, I need to go see John. So we went over, I went over to his house. She said, uh, he's not doing well. He's not very aware of what's going on. I said, could I just go in and talk to him? And pray? I went in and talked to him about heaven and about Christ forgiving and, and about life and prayed. And uh, this was a few years back. And last Christmas, the note we got that stuck out the most, she, Dottie said, you won't believe what it meant to me that you came over and prayed with my husband, and he died the next morning. She said, thank you. I'll never forget that. See, there's another family, that, a guy that moved in there who was not typical of our community. I looked a little different, looked a little wild, just uh, sort of way out there kind of guy. And he moved in. He had two kids. They were there part of the time and, and with him. And then a young girl's living with him who's way too young for him. And the neighbors were like, you know, talk in the neighborhood was, what's going on over there? I said, well, that's not, we're going to find out. We got over, we met his kids, and pretty soon his kids were saying, calling us Aunt Becky and Uncle Larry. And uh, I just encouraged him. I encouraged both of them. Then he had a big birthday party, and he's in the music industry, he produced musicians, uh, Colby Calais, you know who that is? Mm-hmm. A gal from here who's, who did fairly well in music from Thousand Oaks. He produced a lot of good musicians, so he was fairly big in that industry. And the day he'd come, he bought himself a Bentley and was doing fairly well and fairly, had a birthday party. So he said, I want you guys to come to the birthday party. We went to his birthday party, and, uh, and all the people were there were like a different world than we live in. They looked different, they dressed different, they talked different, they acted differently. And, and he said, I want you to meet our, and they, he introduced us to his friends. Then I went to his studio one day, and he said, uh, Larry, I, I've got a new Bentley sitting out there, but I can't drive it because I've got another DUI. 
And one of his friends who worked, I said, this guy works with me. He thinks he's a Christian guy or something. So he came in and I said, why don't we just pray for you to give your life to God and, and forgive you and help you with your issues? And we did that. And his life turned around that day. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And the guy who was the reject in our neighborhood mm-hmm. just looked for somebody to accept him. Uh, when I could say uh, another lady across from us uh, is very Jewish, and I saw her one day putting up her Hanukkah lights on her patio, and she'd had a knee surgery, and I went over and said, get off that ladder. Said, what are you talking? I've got to get, no, no, I'm going to put up your, I put up her Hanukkah lights. How do you like that, huh? And every year she reminds me that I'm the guy who put up her Hanukkah lights for her holiday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then this guy down the end of the street who I, we saw all the Yamlitzes there one night, and, and I went down the street, and, and uh, I saw that a neighbor lady was being worked on and wasn't making it, and uh, I stood there with her husband and watched her die. I didn't know it very well. Then he said to me next, he said, you know what, my wife went to your church some, that, to Calvary over there. I didn't go. I said, well, I said, well let's get together and talk about a service. Uh, maybe I'm taking too long, but I'll hit this one no, fast. You're, you're but, so we sat down to talk about the service. I said, well, where are you coming from? Spiritual, I want it to represent who you are and wh- where you're coming from. And he said, uh, my wife went to your church. She believed in Jesus. And I said, well, where are you? He said, I, my dad was a preacher. He was a Oral Roberts, right-hand man. I got so much church stuffed in me. By the time I got out, I was 17. I walked away, and I've never been back since. Hmm. And he became a big developer. He developed most of the Warner Center, built 100 buildings in there, so he'd done big things. And I said, well, this ought to represent where you are. So uh, tell me where you really are with God. We're going to do a service for your wife, but it has to be real to, with who you are. I said, Larry, I guess it's time for me to come back. And he stood there when we were preparing for his wife's funeral to say to me, I need to recognize Jesus in my life. He's become one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. One of the guys who founded Sherwood out there, all that. So I look around the neighborhood, and, and recently a guy on two doors from us, uh, after he had COVID, he's had three heart experiences that just drove him to the hospital in the emergency and didn't know if he'd live or not, and just panicked. So back then, I've been praying with him as a couple that he'd get past this and God would make him well again. And I'm sort of discovering that what it is is not that I'm preaching some Bible study class or telling you what to read. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm living and loving my neighbors and God's touching their hearts. Yeah. And there's more stories like that. That's enough. Okay, too many. Yeah. So I hope that you noticed a couple of themes there. Having eyes to see the people around us. Having a little bit of time to give to them and trusting the Lord with that process, right? Taking a few risks. So somebody was on his mind. He went over there and prayed for the guy, didn't know that he would die the next morning. But he just had the, that little, so if you have that, that little impetus, that little thought, I should call so-and-so, I should visit so-and-so, why is this person on my mind, right? We gotta, we gotta act on that stuff, right? I was thinking about Danielle this week, and she showed up for church this morning. I haven't seen you in a long time. There's stuff that the Lord just does in our minds. We've got to pay attention. So you and mom have been spiritual parents to a lot of people, especially in our community. Tell us a little bit about what's it like to be a spiritual parent to somebody. I've heard it so many times it's like a broken record. I've had guys look me in the face and say, my dad didn't have any use for God. And in some ways, with a blankety blank, whatever. 
And you're the first man I ever met that I really trusted. You're sort of like my father, really. I bet I've had 100 men or 100 families that just said, you're the spiritual parents we never had. I think I've got 100 men or more in the world that call me dad besides you. And what's when I'm with a cousin of yours named Charlie two weeks ago, and he looked me in the face and said, I saw lots of men around my house, but I never had one I trusted. Mm -hmm. Uncle Larry, you're the only man I know I can trust. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that kind of thing says it all, you know? Yeah. It was not what I taught from the Pope, but it was how you connect with people. Yeah, I love that, it's beautiful. So, so how, do you, how do you step into that role with, with somebody as a spiritual parent and they're a spiritual child? How, do you, how have you seen God do that? Over, over time with you. Be patient. He told me to talk about my brothers. I had two brothers yeah. who, when I went to seminary, looked at me, one of them just said, got mad, blankety-blank mad at me. He said, go get a real job. Earn some money. Do well in life. If you don't want to be religious, be religious. But don't let that be your whole life. Mm -hmm. He really told me off. That was sort of hard. And uh, fast forward many years, one of my brothers who was a gambler and, a, and an alcoholic, uh, I used to call him a lot. And I'd call him on a Friday often. So I called him on Good Friday one year and he said, Larry, I wish I could have done it differently, but it's too late, you know? Too late for me. I know that. But he said, no, it's not too late, Bill. It's not too late. So I said, just ask Christ to forgive you for all of it. Just ask him to forgive you all, all of that. And he, he said, what, what, I, but I'm, do it. So he did. I prayed with him to just ask God to forgive him for all the past and to make him a new man. And I called him on Monday morning and I said, you know what, I told your story in church and, and you helped hundreds of people come to Christ. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't say that aloud. But that's what he said. What are you talking about? And I said, I told them your story. Because that's other people's story too. It's not too late. And uh, I just saw him change radically. Uh, called me a week later, am I supposed to get baptized? And he said, look, then one week he said, uh, I'm still swearing like I shouldn't be doing that, should I? I said, well, why does it bother you? It never bothered you before. Said, what? Don't worry about it. But I just watched my brother and finally, uh, I went back to the Midwest and in his later years, year or two before he died, I baptized him and my sister swim me. Well, the other brother, Never acknowledged the whole thing, but one day he was out visiting us and uh, sat down at the kitchen table. I said, I need to tell you why I've done what I've done with my life. You told me I was a fool to do it. And I told him how much Christ meant to me and how it changed me. Mm -hmm. He said, you know what? I don't get it. I don't buy it. But if you really believe that and you wouldn't tell me, what kind of brother would you be? Yeah. Thanks for telling me how you see it. Yeah. Then I went to visit him later in Florida just before he died. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, we got this music we're using now, and, on our, and we sing it all the time around here. And he put on some Gaither music, and they were all songs about going to heaven. He said, that, that's sort of where I am right now. I said, you're there, aren't you? He said, yeah, I think I am. Yeah. That wasn't a traditional way of, of doing it, right? But he was there, and I had the privilege of speaking for his memorial, too. So yeah. I look back on the heritage, and it's, it's uh, start with people where they are. We can all do that. Admit that you're human too. 
because they see it anyhow, and just go from where they are, not where you wish they were. Yeah. That helps a lot. Yeah, I remember watching your brother Lyle just take little teeny steps towards the Lord over many years, and it wasn't like Bill was more of a, you know, he had nothing to do with it, and then he just crossed that line, like right direct, and Lyle was more like the around, <laughs> around the back way for many years, but towards the end of his life, you could tell he, he had faith. He believed. It was powerful. Hmm. Expect and assume there'll be people in your life today, tomorrow, the next day, that just need a word of encouragement or just a look that says, I care, and respond to whatever happens. Who cares what happens? Just whatever it is, just respond to it. Be natural, be real, be you, and let God use you. He will, because remember, we all qualify. The standard's pretty low to get in, you know? You got that today. All right. <laughs> now, God's also used you to, uh, to influence some others that have kind of come back into your life. Tell us a little bit about a couple of uh, teachers at Oaks Christian and some things you've seen lately that God's kind of brought back to your attention. Oh, wow. Uh, last year, I was asked to step in at Oaks Christian and be a head of spiritual life for a year there with 19 teachers and people who ran chapel and all that. And I really wasn't looking for a new job at 85. I thought that was a little unusual. I told my granddaughter uh, that I had a new job. She said, you'd be great at Walmart greeting all those people. I think you could do that real well. Is that, is that, I think that's good for you. I said, no, that's not where I'm going to be at Oaks. She said, well, where are you going to be on the other side? Which you're not going to be on the middle school side, are you? No, I'm on the other side. So, so, but she allowed me, the kids accepted that. I've got some grandkids here who've been at Oaks too. So, uh, anyhow, where's it going with that? Uh, I looked at the people in the Bible staff that I was working with, and one of the guys who lead the Bible department says, do you know why I'm a pastor today? I said, no. When I was a kid at Calvary, I didn't want to go to kids' service, and I wanted to sit there and listen and learn from you. And I did that. Do you know that? And that's when I decided I want to be a pastor and a Bible teacher someday. So those kinds of stories are there. That's one of them. But I'm, yeah. those kinds of stories are there. You don't know the influence you'll have on people and where they'll be with that 10 years later, but that's God's business. And Expect to be surprised. Right on. Tell, tell us about this book. Uh, I wrote a book called God's Amazing Normal, and you told what I almost, what it was, your, the, the preprint name was what? Sheep Happen. <laughs> but the premise of it is this, that everything God made and produced on planet Earth, the flowers in your garden, the trees, the, the animals, the pests you don't like, Everything he made had a built-in mechanism to reproduce. It's natural. And where we got this idea in the church that 10% of people have the gift of being an evangelist or a witness or whatever, uh, we don't go around saying, now, of all you new marrieds who are getting married, uh, one out of 10 of you should have children. The rest of you should just watch. It doesn't work that way, does it? Everything God made is made to reproduce. He made you physically with the capacity to reproduce life. It's the greatest miracle of all of it. Isn't that true spiritually? We all have the same responsibility to say, how on earth does God want to use me? So I think God's amazing normal is that we all ought to be reproducing ourselves spiritually in other people, not just physically. Anybody say amen? Amen. The one thing that I almost avoided this morning was saying, because you left it out, it said uh, when the, he called the disciples to come and follow him, yep. they left their fishing gear behind and they went and fished for men. 
Now, I, didn't, I don't know how you've reckoned that passage, but I, I thought I should yeah. just bring it up to sort of... I still have my fishing gear. Is that what you're talking uh, about? Yeah. yeah. But it's not how I make a living. Okay. So it's okay. Right. okay. I, I just threw that in to be nasty. I guess. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for letting me be a part of this today. There, there are a bunch of these books on the table on the way out, so grab one. And what I, what I learned from this book, it's more stories of how God shows you how he sees somebody and invites you to invest in their life if you're willing to just take a little risk. And, and it's really neat to see, because it, it's, it, it's kind of funny how God uses you in the lives of all different kinds of people just because you have eyes to see them. And, and it's not because you have special training or because you're so much smarter than this person or this person. It's just you have the love to get involved and the eyes to say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And God uses that in remarkable ways. And so this, this book will give you a little faith in how to see other people. A great joy. What greater joy is there on planet Earth than have to, to have children? What greater joy is there spiritually than to see somebody you've lived with and been around and influenced come and want to follow, follow Christ? Amen. Amen. That's the great joy. Thank you, for, uh, mm -hmm. Pastor, for allowing me to be here and, and say something, and mm -hmm. I hope it wasn't too offensive. All right. It was right on, except for the swear word. You did so, well, really well. I, I, that just, Do you think, Dad? I, I've been in trouble for that in the past. I didn't mean to do that. That I word's in the Bible, so that's you're what he okay. Said. That's what he said. So, Mom, would you come up here for just a minute? Here, just wait, wait one second, Dad. So I, I want to pray for the two of you. Come on up, Mom. I want to pray for the two of you that God would continue to use you as spiritual parents and as uh, spark plugs to, uh, to get others involved in making disciples. Behind every successful man is a supportive mate and a shocked mother-in-law. That's right. That's true. <laughs> so open eyes prayer, okay? And you can stretch out a hand if you're comfortable with that. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for Larry and Becky, mom and dad, and also mom and dad to some of us in the room and some who are watching. We ask that you would bless their lives, that you would use whatever time they have left for your glory, uh, that their lives would impact others, Jesus. Uh, help them to follow well and finish well and help many others to, to become more like you, Jesus. Amen. You met Christ with your mom, didn't you? I did. When I was at some board meeting. Okay. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Dad. Yeah, when he, when he called me and said, hey, I've got a new job, uh, I think most people with an 85-year-old dad would be surprised didn't surprise me. I said, of course you have a new job. Tell, tell me all about it. Uh, but thank you, Mom and Dad, for being uh, spiritual parents to so many people. And I think that's just, I think that's something for each of us to think about, pray about, is wouldn't that be amazing at the end of our lives to say, here are those that God has used my life to impact. There's this trail of people that, that are more like Christ because he used my life. Uh, here are a couple of final thoughts uh, as we wrap up this, this series uh, on, on making disciples. The first one is this that we've already talked about. It's not about a series at church. Hey, that was a really good series. That was, I liked that one sermon when Larry got up and talked. Man, I was so inspired. So what, really? 
uh, making disciples is about an intentional life. It's about living a life that's not about ourselves. It's about looking at him, uh, loving him first, loving others more than we love ourselves, and putting, putting, that, uh, putting our lives out there to help somebody else follow him. Uh, the second thing is this. Jesus discipled people before they believed. Some of the stories that dad told were of Jewish neighbors and atheist friends and people that don't know the Lord. And yet, he's investing time with them and pointing them towards Jesus. It's interesting as you look in Scripture, when Jesus called the fishermen and said, come and follow me, they didn't really know who he was yet. And they went on the road with him, and then they learned who he was over time. And there were a couple of times when they still missed it. And even at the resurrection, this will give you a little bit of hope, um, Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to them, gave them the great commission. And if you look in the words of Matthew, it says, they worshipped him and some doubted. And then he gave them the great commission. They're still struggling. They're still trying to figure this whole thing out. Uh, but I think it's interesting that in the church often we say somebody's got to believe and then we can start training them. And, and that's not how real life works. And often people are going to belong before they believe. They're going to belong in your life. They're going to belong in, in our church. They're going to belong in relationship. And that's how the Lord is going to catch them and how the Lord is going to bring them along in him is they're going to watch your example. They're going to listen to your words. They're going to watch your actions, right? And, and that's, not, that's not bad, that's actually good. And sometimes it can help us get more on track if we're like, oh, geez, people are watching me now, right? In 12-step in, uh, in programs, a lot of times, you, you're a sponsor to help somebody, but also it helps you because it helps you stay on course. If you've got to keep these three people out of, out of trouble, you better be out of trouble yourself. Amen. Okay. So, so a question for each of us is this. Am I praying that God would use my life? Am I saying, God, I want my life to bring you glory. I want my life to bring others to follow you. So how would you expect him to answer that prayer if you're praying that? By making you a really big deal? By making you super famous and giving you thousands of followers on Instagram? No. It's life on life. Lord, use my life for your glory. And he goes, oh, go talk to Gladys. Oh, okay, I should go talk to Gladys. And then go talk to Gladys' son. Okay, go, I'll go talk to Gladys' son. Now, here's something interesting. Uh, if, if, you, if you like mathematics, if each of us leads one person to follow Christ every year, okay, just one, then over 33 years, the planet is reached. It's the power of multiplication. And so it's not about, I have to go, you know, reach 150 people this year or else, no, I just have to be responsible for who's right in front of me and say, God, would you use my life in, in the lives of, of these other screw-ups that we, as screw-ups, could follow you, Lord, together and that you would use our lives for your sake. Amen. So here's the last thing. This week is Thanksgiving. Can you believe it? It's, it's here. How many of you love Thanksgiving? Okay. Um, all at once, say out loud, what's the best part of Thanksgiving food-wise? What is it? One, two, three. Perfect. I agree. 
So what do you hope God will do in your family or in your friend group this Thanksgiving? And you're like, I just hope we survive, right? But just think about it. Do you have a hope? Do you have a prayer for Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is a time when God can do some pretty remarkable things. Maybe he wants to heal a relationship that's a mess. I was, I was talking with somebody this last week who's like dreading Thanksgiving. Like, this is going to be weird, and it's always weird, and I always hate it, and I'm going anyway. But, but we can turn that into like, Lord, would you please use the weirdness somehow? Would you please heal some broken things? Maybe, there's, maybe the trust has been broken down. Please heal that and bring families back together, bring friends back together, um, and, and the Lord can bring opportunities. Um, here's something. Maybe nobody prays at your Thanksgiving gathering. Just say, hey, I'd, l- I'd love to pray. Maybe you could help others to pray. Maybe you could just point everybody's attention to the Lord's house. Say, say something you're thankful for before we just dig in and, and ruin this turkey, Right? <laughs> But you can be intentional in those Thanksgiving gatherings, even if you're not the granddad. You can get some stuff done. Okay, it's also a chance to have spiritual conversations. You're with people for a bunch of hours, and and somebody's going to be bored, somebody's going to be mad, somebody's going to be sad, somebody's going to be distracted, right? So ask the Lord to give you the, the little radar to go like, oh, she's out and back having a smoke, and she doesn't look good. Maybe I should go talk to her. And, and just, you know what I mean? Don't be so focused on the pie that you miss, you know, somebody outside that needs your help, right? Okay. And, and it's also a chance to start some new traditions. So if you're in charge of the house or not, it may be time to start a new thing. Hey, every year, how about if we thank God before we eat? Hey, every year, how about if we thank God for each other? Hey, I know it's been a hard year, but I just thank God for all of you guys. Just start some new things and just ask the Lord to lead you in that. And, and let him, even as we're talking right now, hopefully he's directing your thoughts. Just say, Lord, would you direct my thoughts towards Thanksgiving, towards Christmas, right now? And give me a picture, Lord, of what you want me to pray about. Who is it? Is it this gathering? Is it that gathering? Is it at so-and-so's house? Is it this person who's going through a hard time? Lord, I ask that you would help my heart to just reach out to them so I can help them to find peace with you, Jesus. And, and may I be an agent of your grace. May I be an agent of your love and your peace through the holidays. Amen? So um, I want to ask the band to come back up, and we're going to do one final song. And also, many of you have been doing uh, devotionals on the Bible app together. So we just did one that was on Making Disciples this last week. And a bunch of you were reading the verses and then commenting on them. How many of you have done one of these in the last year or so? So, um, so we're doing one this week. I know it's very creative, but it's on giving thanks. That was my idea <laughs> going into Thanksgiving that you know, we would pick something creative like that. But I invited 99 of you so far to join on this Bible app Devo this week. So go on the Bible app. And then if you, um, there should be an invitation there that's pretty obvious. Just click it and just read this with a group of people this week. It'll help tune in your heart and your mind for Thanksgiving. Uh, and we can comment and just share that time with each other on the app. Okay? So let's sing this song together.